Hello and welcome to What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. I'm Alex Pugh, reporter at Fintech Futures. Joining me for this episode at Money 2020 Europe here in Amsterdam is Jethro McDonald, Product Manager, Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning at SmartStream. We'll be talking AI, ML, and probably another number of other initialisms and how SmartStream is leveraging these technologies to help financial institutions keep pace with a rapidly evolving financial services landscape. Welcome to the show, Jethro. Would you like to introduce yourself, talk about your role at SmartStream and the sort of work you're doing there? Yeah, of course. Hello, and, and thank you for having me. I'm Jethro McDonald, Product Manager of AI and Machine Learning at SmartStream. So what I do is I look at how we can use the latest technology and implement that in our suite of solutions that we have here at SmartStream. Sounds good. Thanks. Um, so our first segment is our news and numbers. It's an interesting news story picked by our guest. You've chosen a story um, from here at Money 2020 Europe. How is the rise of fintech transforming the next generation of banking? Just go into a little bit about why you picked that and uh, yeah, we'll, t- we'll have a chat. Yeah, of course. So I thought, I thought it was fitting as we are here at Money 2020 to bring up 2020 and talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing here and how we're finding the event and all of that, really. Yeah. This talk, uh, actually, I wrote the story, um, mm-hmm. it was uh, Kahina van Dijk, uh, Standard Charters. Global Digital Channels and Data Analytics, she heads up that part of the bank. She talked about the ways in which fintechs can uh, teach lessons to traditional banking. She goes on here about uh, the existential fear of fintech upstarts as a great motivator for transformation. Uh, is that something you recognize? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, it's... It's quite clear when you walk around this event, especially that there's a lot of new firms that are coming into the industry. Obviously, the crypto market is huge at the moment, likewise with payment firms. And it is really the, in an essence, that some of these firms kind of caught traditional banks napping in a sense. We've got solutions now where you can track everything to do with your money. You instantly see it coming in and out. Even saw something where you can put a ring on your finger and tap in and out using that. So. There's all these really exciting ways of utilizing the latest technology and give people a lot of transparency. Um, and in a sense, the traditional banks weren't offering that um, in the way and they, can't, they are playing a little bit of catch up now. They're aware of the power of, of having a digital bank and, and the presence. So it's it's quite exciting and it's really exciting to seeing a lot of these firms at Money 2020. Yeah, definitely. I saw the uh, ring thing as well. That was Digisec, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to David Birch actually on Tuesday about it. Um, someone actually had a thumbnail Okay. Painted and they could pay with their... Thumb. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So it's the next step from the ring, I believe. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Maybe the ring could be a cool idea. Um, so, yeah, going back to the story, there's, she also talks about um, a cultural revolution, not just within financial services, but more broadly around um, what she calls command and control structures. So she's talking about the employer and employee relationship mm-hmm. and how financial services needs to be more empathetic and human-led. Do you see more of that in fintechs, do you think? Or is that something that traditional sort of legacy financial institutions are catching up? Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be honest, um, back in the day, I used to work at UBS and they were one of the best firms that I worked for in terms of remote working. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they built their new office in London and only built it enough for, I think, 80% of the workforce with the intention of people working from home. Um, so the systems they had there were really, really good. So there's, there's certainly some banks that are more open to it than others. I think, you know, working in the tech space, we always in a way of a cutting edge, right? So we're always doing stuff maybe a little bit different and that ability to work from home 
has been there for for quite a while and obviously you know the pandemic has changed that even more and i think if it's taught us anything is that people's time is precious you know the time they spent with their family was precious and and everything like that so it's certainly something i think something institutions you look at right uh, yeah. that flexibility um because you know the world didn't end when we all had to work from home right it definitely it, not, it kept, no. kept going so it actually um, got better i think <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so you know when we see it, some institutions are quite happy with allowing their workforce to to be flexible with, with their time and, and, and all that and some are a little bit more strict but um i think you know if you've, if you've got the combination of the two uh, the ability to go into the office and collaborate is great but yeah. then also the freedom to to do it when and as you choose is, is also great too. Yeah, it's funny how uh, we've always had the capacity technology-wise to work remotely and flexibly, and, but it took sort of a global pandemic mm. for companies really to sort of catch up with what employees have always really wanted, to be honest. Yeah, exactly, um, which is, it's crazy. It kind of came to that really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it's probably a change for the better in my opinion. Um, um, so yeah, long, long may we have flexible working. Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. She also talks here about culture as well and um, industry where sort of expertise is of, uh, top of the pile. Um, she mentions that sometimes it might be the young blood coming into companies that have these ideas that could change. And um, it's a question really of whether they want to listen to what she says, the 25 year old at the table. Do you think there's a sort of reverse ageism in financial services to a certain extent? I guess so. I mean. What you're looking at is typically younger people are immersed in it a lot more than the older generation is, right? And they, the kind of jobs that people are looking to do now, they were, they didn't exist 10 years ago, you know, like working in crypto or AI and machine learning, things like that. They're, they're really exciting stuff that they didn't really exist. So there's, there's probably a bit of a, a gap in a sense of knowledge there. Therefore, the younger people look at it and go, oh, this is a great career. This is really exciting. I'm using the latest tech, all this sort of stuff. And I, I'm personally a fan of you know, hiring younger graduates. I think they've got a, a good passion for what they do and, you know, they've been trained well on this sort of stuff. So, yeah, um, whether there's an ageism, I don't know. Um, it's but, probably not particular to financial services. I mean, um, there is a certain degree of wisdom that you acquire as mm. you get older, but sometimes, as you say, younger people are much more immersed in these technologies. They're living them, they're using them. Yeah. Perhaps they might have a bit more insight into yeah and I, I think always you know you get a different perspective as well right yeah just because something has been done the same way for 20 30 years doesn't mean it needs to be done the same way going forward right Working in the um, office for example yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> um okay last thing on this um she makes quite a big statement at the end actually um all banks today are fintech companies. Um, if you're working for a bank that does not know that it's a fintech company, it probably won't be around in 10 years, which um, is quite a statement. But uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think I do, right? Some of the biggest teams in, in banks are their development teams, right? But what I would say is there are elements of things that they will develop themselves, but at the same time, there's certain specialists products and things like that where it might be better to go to a vendor like like us because you have that expertise and it works well in other places and it can scale right mm -hmm. uh but yeah like all, all banks are are tech houses really and and they have to be as i said when um earlier you know with all these kind of new banking applications coming out and things like that you know banks have to be really on top of ensuring that what they offer is attractive to their their clients
start with part two of the podcast. This is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion into a particular topic or sector. We're going to talk about machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence. So we should probably start at the top. Can you go into a little bit of detail about exactly what they are? I mean, everybody has heard of AI, mm -hmm. machine learning, maybe less so, but it's still, it's, a, it's definitely another buzzword out there. <laughs> yeah, just sort of a top level explanation about what they are, what the difference is between them and um, how SmartStream implements them across your customer base. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, AI in, in an essence is almost a little bit philosophical to a degree. Uh, machine learning is all around learning from actions and patterns that you see in, in the code and then applying that in a, a logical way um, and improving on as the process goes. AI is more how can we use the technology to help us in a clever way. Uh, so a bit more of a philosophical concept, really. Yeah. How are they sort of implemented across your customer base? Um, are they implemented in different ways? Is machine learning a type of artificial intelligence? Yeah, it is. In my solution, we kind of implemented it in two ways, really. So our product's called AIR, um, AI Reconciliation. Mm -hmm. uh, we use it, first of all, from an onboarding perspective. So if you've got data sets of one, two, or, or more files, um, you can chuck it out the system, and it will work out how that data comes together. So it will try and it will assess that data and come back with the best possible match it can get. Um, if you're happy with that, you can keep it. If you want, you can go ask the AI to go have another look and, and all that. So that's try again. Exactly, try again. So, um, so we use it to map the data sets and then also to find where that data matches. And then machine learning. For that, we actually learn from the user behavior. So more of an observational learning. So when they do perform their manual matches, we're able to learn from that action that they've taken and then apply that logic across the remaining uh, records that they have okay. and, and give a percentage certainty of, of why that data should come together yeah. and what in the, the, that data set is, is linked. You know, is it, is it a, an embedded reference? Is it a date? Is it you know, an amount netting to zero? That sort of thing. And the more it does those actions, the better it gets, presumably? Yeah, like a regular person. Yeah, exactly. The more you, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it's like uh, I guess when you're at school and you're you're writing your, I don't know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> over and over and over, you get you get it better at it, right? You keep yeah. you keep doing equations, you you get, you get better at solving them. So it's it's the same concept really from a but from a machine perspective. So uh, presumably they have many applications. These technologies. Um, what's the most common use case for AI and ML that you see a lot of? Yeah, so I mean, from our perspective, there's obviously that ability to link data sets together. You know, that's for us, that's perfect. It helps with that onboarding. You know, and there's also stuff around identifying fraud and stuff like that. We heard a lot of that while at this event, um, using AI to to spot kind of erroneous transactions or like uh, dodgy transactions and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so those are really good applications of it as well. Um, when combating fraud, um uh, would a human being been able to spot that? Or is it is this something that this, this technology can do that a person would never have been able to do just by the sheer amount of work? Yeah, I mean, they, they can find patterns and stuff on a huge scale that would be almost impossible for a human to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the power of it. You keep training it, and, and that's the key with AI is that you keep training it and it learns, which is which is great. And it, it'll, it will get better at the tasks you're, you're providing, yeah. presenting to it. As long as you give it lots of data, I suppose. It's hungry for data exactly data is king and it's why it works so well for us 
being a, a firm that reconciles a lot of data that needs to logically come together, mm. it makes sense to use AI to help with that, that process. Um, okay. When it comes to implementing these technologies, do fintechs differ from banks in what they require? Um, and do they have more of an appetite for these kind of nascent technologies? Yeah, so I think we see with, with fintechs probably more than, than banks is that Initially, they were probably at the, the cutting edge of a lot of stuff. You know, that's how you make your, your name in the financial tech world is by doing something new and different that, that's, that you need, right? Mm. What I would say is, is banks are, are getting on board with these technologies, right? So the solution that I manage um, is a cloud-native solution, you know, and we're talking sort of 10 years ago that if you talk talking to a bank about a cloud native solution they they wouldn't want it they'd want all the data within their own premises and, yeah. and you know secured by their own firewalls but now you know we're having conversations with these banks and they're completely open to that because they understand the power of it right you can scale at a really cost effective rate using cloud computing so for me it's it's the next step for institutions really is they should all be looking to to be on the cloud for that cost saving perspective but also the power that you get being there too yeah were they concerned about security was it just a sort of um, an ignorance around the fact that if it's not on my premises then it's not necessarily secure Obviously, yeah those concerns are yeah there. exactly and and what we find is that the fintechs the the crypto exchanges the payment firms it's a very easy conversation to have with them because they understand the technology and they're utilizing that technology themselves uh banks yeah i think initially it was that it was control you know there's always a worry that someone can get access to your data um and all that sort of stuff but the security and things like that that are in, involved in these these applications is, is crazy. We're, we're multi-tenanted, so you and I could be logged in, but we have completely different access to the part of the system. Your side's encrypted differently to my side. So all that sort of, those concerns really are solved by the technology itself. Yeah, I mean, even if you had all that data on-premises, everything is connected on, with the internet now anyway, so having it physically there doesn't really make a huge amount of difference whether it's somewhere on AWS or whether it's on your own premises. Yeah. Everything's yeah. online, so... Yeah, yeah ex exactly. And I mean, the biggest security risk is always the point, the main point of penetration is usually the, the bit where the human is logging in, right? So... The weakest, weakest link in the chain. Weakest link, exactly. Yeah. That's, exactly. How that, that's how they get in, isn't it? So we get, we get the machine to do everything now instead. Yeah. <laughs> um... Can you tell me a little bit about how SmartStream leverages AI and ML to achieve improved transaction reporting and what benefits do your customers see when you use those technologies? Yeah, so, you know, transaction reporting uh, from a regulatory point of view is one of the things that I've focused on a lot um, since joining SmartStream. And, you know, we spoke earlier about how we utilize AI to help us quickly onboard reconciliations and, you know, we can use machine learning to learn from the manual matches and so on. Mm -hmm. But actually, one of the, the most exciting use cases from a regulatory point of view and a transaction reporting perspective is actually looking at the transactions from your peers and using AI to actually compare that data and understand where, although syntactically correct, you're reporting correctly, there could actually be mistakes versus your peers. And that's a really exciting way of how we're looking to utilize AI in our products. So enough people do their reconciliation through us, we can then check against the market and and ensure that what someone's reporting should is correct for their peers. Yeah, so if um, there's enough, if there are certain discrepancies, 
the system will flag it and you can take a closer look. Yeah, exactly. It will flag in, you know, everything's anonymous. It will it'll just kind of flag, you know, the specific field and say, this is your peers, you're reporting this differently uh, to the rest of the market. Maybe that's something you want to look into. Yeah. You know, maybe you've got a reporting problem there. Yeah. How do you think AI and machine learning uh, will evolve in the future, uh, particularly as it pertains to SmartStream and, and your customers? Are there any sort of new developments or on the horizon that mm -hmm. you are eager to implement or use? Yeah, so one of the really exciting things that we'll, we'll be showing later this year is actually AI and exception management. So from a, a reconciliation point of view, the, the, the most work spent after a reconciliation is configured is actually dealing with the exceptions that arise from data that isn't matching. And off the back of that, you know, firms raise exceptions, they assign to different teams, they flag them in a particular way, they, they open a, a case with a, another team who then needs to work on it and that sort of stuff. Um, what we're looking to do is utilize AI to actually learn from how users have categorized different cases in the past and then actually do that for the user. Apply so, it going forward. Apply it going forward, exactly. So it just, it removes even more painful manual points from that whole reconciliation process to the point where you're probably only going to need the user from a, a check point of view. Actually, all the, the processing and, and, and actions that are happening are, are firing off utilizing the AI. Um, so that's going to be really exciting when, when we, we've got that. It's uh, doing a, a lot of the hard work for, and but humans are still part of the process. Mm -hmm. Probably always will be. Yeah. But um, presumably you need less, less labor, less people. Um, as well, a result of these technologies. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's obviously the benefit to, to firms, right, is actually the, the cost savings they can have. They can implement these controls instead of weeks and months in, you know, minutes and, and you know, sort of hours sort of thing. Time is money. Time is money. And then also the people actually working on it themselves, if their task is reduced massively by this all being automated and AI learning how that should be done, it saves money um, and that's really important for firms at the moment. And they can probably do more of that high level work that the humans can do, more tasks while the machines take care of the, the, the harder stuff. Yeah, exactly. The stuff that maybe people would never be able to do, as you mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the brunt work almost. The brunt work, yeah. I didn't want to say that. <laughs> um, okay. Um, yeah, we touched a little bit earlier about uh, the pandemic. Um, that old thing. Uh, it's seen uh, digital tra transformation across financial services. I mean, obviously it's been going on for some some time, but as with so many other things, it's, it's completely turbocharged it. How has SmartStream leveraged AI and ML and other new technologies, if you want to go into any of those, to meet the needs of customers and their end users in this new normal that we now live in? Yeah, of course. So. Um as I said, our solution is, you know, cloud native. So um, the ability to access it um, and scale as well when you've got requirements is is available with, with our cloud native solution. So, you know, one of the things that we've saw from a, a payment and COVID perspective was, you know, the transactional fees for certain, you know, companies going up, you know, a lot of people buying things on Amazon, that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were seeing volumes go up in the industry and, and having that kind of cloud technology that's able to scale um, with you and your data uh, is 
a great way of us being able to help them. Um, you were ready for for this. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, you know, and, that, and that's different to maybe your on-premise traditional solutions where you have to physically add more hardware if you mm. want those to scale. Um, yeah, I can't imagine people trying to, adding new data centers, trying to keep up with, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Amazon. I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, the amount of money they must have made <laughs> certainly kept all the delivery drivers in business. Yeah, that's true, yeah. true. And partnerships. So how important are they to SmartStream um, as you sort of look to innovate and keep up with the technology and some of these new behaviors that we mentioned? How does that work? Yeah, of course. I mean, like I, some of our you know, biggest and most important partnerships are obviously the cloud providers that we use. So AWS, Microsoft Azure and, and, and Google Cloud. Um, it's really important that we work with them to ensure that what we're using from a technology point of view is in line or meets their expectations. Um, and, you know, we, we got with AWS, with the tech stack we're using and the way we're using it, we got the highest mark you can get um, from them. That for us is really important. And it's a statement, really, it shows to to us and to our clients how serious we are about ensuring that what we're doing is right and follows the correct processes for the future. When you say the uh, highest mark, is that measuring security or the way that the data is handled? It's, it's, it's everything. So okay. security, it's the tech stack that you're using, um, it's, it's how you're using it and how it's deployed. Okay. Uh, on partnerships, so you have an innovation lab mm -hmm. um, and you've partnered with a number of banking customers in the past to run pilots and to investigate the use of AI and machine learning. Can you go into a little bit of detail about these partnerships and what SmartStream learned from them? And did you subsequently change or implement anything as a result? Yeah, so I mean, one of the main things that we partnered on recently is, is the affinity bit, that, um, which is our machine learning element. So as I said, we. You know, I'm, I'm in charge of the Air product, which is latest and greatest technology. But actually, we, you know, we have other traditional products within our, our suite as well. And we created Affinity as a microservice, so we could deploy that into those other products as well. Um, and we found partnering with a number of different banks, how that's really improved their overall process. And I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but we, we massively improved with one of the bank there, the efficiency of, of their matching by integrating this Affinity into their solution. So... That's that's one way of how we are partnering with firms to try and improve their improve their experience, but also learning as well from the technology and ensuring that we we apply it correctly. We are now moving into what is a lot of people's favorite part of the podcast, the fintech jail. This is the part where we ask for, and there are a lot of them, uh, overhyped, overused industry terms, buzzwords, jargon, trends, all that stuff. Um, some of them materialize and some not so much. And um, you have one, you want to put it in jail. What's your, what's your choice? Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I've, I've spoken a little bit about it already. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it's inescapable. Self-fulfilling prophecy that. Um, Definitely. But yeah, I'm, I'm going for crypto. Crypto, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm aware that I probably, being AI and machine learning product manager, I sound like the bitter cousin. Um, but um, yeah, look, it was it was innovative at the time, um, and it still is innovative. But I I just think at the the point when your your mum and your dad and your grandma are investing in crypto, it's 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 no longer the <laughs> the most innovative thing in the world. Right? And well, of course, you, it's so accessible, like you say. I mean, you can um, buy and hold it and sell it on PayPal. Um, 
and yeah. I've got some on my PayPal account. Um, and I think that really just sort of shows just how uh, almost every day it's become. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, there's still a lot of um, mystery around it, though. And um, so would you consider it to be something you would want to keep in jail forever? Or do you think it, if it changed a bit, maybe you would become more amenable to it? Um, I, I think the only reason I put it in jail is because, it, you know, it's was exciting it's now just part of the furniture you know mm-hmm. um so I, yeah I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep it in jail there's obviously good applications uh for it you know I'm, I'm not an expert but the reality is most of the coins that we see are 80 90 percent copying what what bitcoin did yeah, um, yeah. and and some it, are just memes <laughs> well yeah exactly exactly bitcoin if if you read their paper on you know how it was created the is, original white paper by satoshi yeah yeah it's yeah. it's like well he she whoever whoever it is, whoever it is um light years ahead of anyone else absolutely um, and very um, very rich yes yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean look it's great um and it, it's it's exciting but you know everything that's kind of come since is just a mm. copy of, of yeah. something that was great uh quite a few years ago i feel like um i just wish i'd got in there earlier i think that's what it is you yeah. know um I, yeah that's the thing yeah. if i if i had gone early I'd, I'd i'd be probably talking about it in a different way yeah, I, yeah i had a friend in 2012 that was banging on about it uh yeah i know same <laughs> i know and you just think why why did i not buy it and why did i not hold it i think i feel like uh part of that kind of the, the people being fed up with it is that after the price rocketed, uh, it was too late to get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's only ever going to go up, probably. But um, I think that's a lot of the kind of fatigue around it is that uh, now everyone's trying to find the next Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's probably too late. That's the thing. Yeah. It probably is. But oh well. Do you think it will be, I mean, Bitcoin in particular, do you think it will be around forever? Do you think it will crash? Do you think it will get regulated out of existence? Do you well, think it will just lose? So I don't, I think crypto itself will probably won't get regulated because it's how can you track who's involved in those transactions really? Mm-hmm. Um, I've always thought that once we start trading derivatives, which we're seeing more and more of them, you know, that was a big topic at the last uh, conference I was at, um, yeah. was, was crypto derivatives. And from a method point of view, FX, like, you know, just typical FX transactions, they're not regulated, but the, the, some derivatives of FX is. is. So okay. at the point when we get those crypto derivatives, I think, yeah, maybe they will be regulated and those contracts will be regulated a bit more. But yeah, we'll see. The regulator's always reviewing this sort of stuff and it's, it's it will be a hot topic at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Jethro, for joining. Before we sign off, do you have any social websites that you want to plug? Probably just Smart Street. Smart Street. <laughs> yeah, that's a good shout. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Pew Show. That's P-U-G-H Show. And on LinkedIn by searching Alex Pew Journalist. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at fintechfutures.com. On Twitter, at Fintech Futures. And on LinkedIn by searching, again, Fintech Futures. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcasting service. Also, really appreciate it if you could help other listeners find the podcast by writing a review or recommending us to a friend. Classic. Thank you very much for your support. Thanks, Jethro. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the time. And um, yeah, we'll see listeners soon for another episode of What the Fintech. Goodbye.